A Texan rancher once threw a large party for 300 of his closest friends. And after dinner, he took them out to the pool, and in the pool was a large shark. And he said to the gathered crowd there, to the man that jumps in the pool and swims the length of it and gets out the other side, I'll give him a choice of three things. He can either have half of my ranch, he can have two of my oil wells, or he can have the hand of my daughter in marriage. Well, the guests were exclaiming at what a ridiculous proposition that was, and suddenly they heard a splash. And there was a man in the pool making a beeline for the other end. Well, the shark was so surprised that somebody had actually jumped in the pool that by the time he caught up to the guy, the guy was clambering out of the pool. The Texan said, that's amazing, but I am true to my word. So, son, what would you like, half of my ranch? The man said, no, I've got a big ranch of my own. Do you want two of my oil wells? No, he said, I have plenty of those myself. Ah, must be the hand of my daughter you want in marriage. And he said, no, I'm happily married. So the Texan said, well, what is it that you do want? The man replied, what I want is to know who pushed me in. <laughs> Fear can be a terrifying, debilitating, paralyzing event in our lives. And today you might feel like somebody shoved you into the pool of life that has a shark in it. Well, the word from Psalm 23:4 for us this morning is that we, as followers of Christ, have nothing to fear ever. Because even though there is evil in this world, and my friends, there is evil in the world, it will never ultimately touch the child of God. Because we have a shepherd who is with us and a shepherd who protects us. Verse 4 reads like this. I'm going to put it up on the screen. We just have one verse to look at, so I thought I would try to diagram it so we can kind of see where it's going. The key phrase in the verse is, I will fear no evil. And it begins, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And we're going to get to spend 25 minutes now diving into the riches of this verse. We're going to be looking at three keys in this verse. The problem, the promise, and the protection. First of all, the problem. The problem is the valley. Now, two weeks ago, Evan did a great job introducing us to this psalm and teaching us how because the Lord, the Lord Yahweh is our shepherd, we lack nothing. His care for us is perfect. And last week, Bob helped us see in verses 2 and 3 how it is that the Lord cares for us. He provides nourishment, he provides rest, and he provides direction for us. And he left us in such a beautiful, idyllic spot at the end of verse 3 last week. And in some ways, don't you wish the psalm had ended right there? But the problem is, life doesn't end right there. Sometimes, life just stinks. And in verse 4, David gets real. And we move from being led in paths of righteousness to now being led into the valley of the shadow of death. And in that valley, we may have to face mankind's greatest enemy, death itself. The valley is a deep, rocky wadi 
that's formed by rushing waters in the spring and the rest of the year remains a dark and foreboding place. Dangers in the wadi include flash floods and wild animals and robbers. The phrase, the shadow of death, could mean death itself, and it does refer to death, but I think that the meaning is even broader than that. It's a phrase that's used 10 times in the Old Testament, and seven of those are in the book of Job. Imagine that. It's a poetic description for what happens to us when negative circumstances hit our lives and we're thrown into fear or anxiety or despair. We feel like there's a long, unending tunnel ahead of us that we just can't get out. It's the slough of despond of Pilgrim's Progress. Or for those of you with lighter entertainment tastes, it's the fire swamp of the Princess Bride. <laughs> now, some of you may be in the valley this morning, and some of you may not be. And if you're not, praise God. But just tuck this sermon away because one day, if the Lord tarries, you will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't know about for you, but maybe it's a prolonged unemployment that has left you wondering if God knows or if he cares about you. Maybe it's been a life-changing illness that seems to have no cure. Maybe it's pain that is so persistent and they can't figure out what it is and you begin to think you're losing your mind. Maybe it's a fractured relationship that hurts so deep that when you think about what was, you weep. Maybe it's children, your own precious offspring who've wandered off like sheep and are lost. For all of us, it's been the valley of the shadow of COVID for the last year and a half, with all the stresses and challenges that that has brought. And particularly for you medical people, you have served so well and so faithfully at the risk of your own health. You have walked others through the valley of the shadow, and now you're in it yourself because you're burned out and tired. And let me just say thank you for your service to us. And then the darkest valley of all, that of death itself, something that you may have experienced recently. And the loss is so great that it crushes you every single day. Now, you would think, wouldn't you, that a good shepherd would not lead his sheep in the valley of the shadow of death. Ah, but a wise one might. Even though, the verse says, You see, because in the valley of the shadow of death, we learn lessons, lessons about ourselves, about our weaknesses and limitations. We learn lessons about God, about his love and his care and his power and his wisdom that we could never learn in the green pastures by the still waters. And so God brings us into the valley to teach us precious lessons, but costly lessons. You notice he brings us through the valley, not around it. And he does it on purpose. And when we understand his purpose for the valley, then we bow before his wisdom that is so much greater than our limited perspective as human beings. 
One commentator said this, but no one of us ever goes down into the valley of the shadow of death of his own accord. We are willing to live the unconscious life. By that he meant we don't think about life much if it doesn't hurt. We know the depths that lie below, but nonetheless rejoice to skim lightly over the surface. By and by, God comes, and with his own fatherly hand, he leads us into the gloom. There is not one of us who would not rejoice in lifelong exemption from bitter bereavement, who would not, if he could, choose this form of blessing almost before any other. And yet it is far better that God's visitation should come this way than not at all. We never know what God is and may be to our spirits till we have gone down with him into the valley of the shadow and there in the thick darkness felt the stay of his presence and the comfort of his love. Another commentator said, the shadows of death increase the spirit of prayer more. Is that not your experience? They do dissolve and loosen the affections more from the world. They make us better to discern the shadows of life, the poor, empty vanities of the world, and set the heart more on heavenly purchases. Jane Marshevsky, whose stage name is Nightbird, auditioned on America's Got Talent last month. In 2017, she was given the diagnosis of stage three breast cancer. She beat it once and it came back the next year and she was given a 2% chance of living. She beat it again, and then she auditioned on America's Got Talent. Cancer has come back a third time in her liver and her lungs and her spine. And these are some words that Jane wrote. I believe that God can heal in one instant. I also believe that no good thing does he withhold. So there was something God was growing in the field that is me, and if God had pulled up all of this hardship too soon, it would also have pulled up all those miracles he did in my spirit. See, this is the reason for the valley. Call me cursed, call me lost, call me scorned, but that's not all. Call me chosen, blessed, sought after. Call me the one who God whispers his secrets to. I am the one whose belly is filled with loaves of mercy that were hidden for me. My friend, in your valley are loaves of mercy that are hidden just for you as you draw near to God in the darkness that you are going through. That is the problem, the valley, and the purpose. Secondly, the promise, his presence. That, of course, is the solution to the problem of the valley. And it is enough, the presence of God. There are two important things to notice about this phrase. First, you don't see this in English, but in Hebrew, it's at the exact structural center of the psalm. As Evan mentioned last week, there are 26 Hebrew words before the phrase and 26 after. And that's a Hebrew poet's way of telling us that this is central to what he is saying. The key to the whole psalm is that the Lord is with us. But secondly, did you notice the change of pronouns? In the first three verses, it's he, 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 and now he says, you. Because in the valley, God becomes intensely personal. David's no longer talking about God. He's talking to God. God's no longer a theoretical concept. God is a, a person that he has a living relationship with. And that's what the valley does for us. 
The psalmist says that he will not be afraid even in the darkest valley for because God is with him. Such a simple phrase, one we we use so often, but do we really understand what it means? Last week we had our grandchildren over for the day and I was doing some yard work and had some, some branches and leaves that I needed to throw in what I call the back forest. Now back behind our house, between our backyard and the nickel plate trail is a small forest, no bigger than the size of this stage. But neighbors, we all throw our, our leaves and branches and stuff back there. And so I said to the grandkids, do you want to go to the back forest with grandpa and throw away these leaves? And they said, yes. So we went into the back forest and they, they trailed behind me. I dumped the, the leaves and turned around and they turned around the little path and went around the corner and suddenly they took off towards our house that it was about 50, 60 yards away. Marty later told me that when our granddaughter got there, her eyes were this big. <laughs> she said, it was, we went to the back forest with grandpa and it was scary. <laughs> Only a little scary. And she said, well, wasn't grandpa with you? And our grandson said, yes, he was, but the girl was still afraid. And you see, our level of fear is in inverse proportion to our perception of the power of the person who is with us. Amen, brother, thank you. <laughs> so this hurt my grandfatherly ego. Been in a little tiny forest, my granddaughter didn't feel comfortable with me. The movie My Bodyguard in 1981, Clifford is the new kid at Lakeview High School in Chicago. The new rich kid, he's small, he's kind of geeky, and there is a group of thugs in the school led by a kid named Moody who threaten the kids and extort their lunch money. If you've seen it, you can identify with it, especially us who are small. Now, Clifford gets tired of forking over his lunch money every day, and so he desired, decides to hire the, the class outcast, Ricky Linderman, a shadowy, large, hulking figure who's probably failed a few grades and might have a screw or two loose. <laughs> but he hires him to be his bodyguard, and suddenly Clifford walks the halls of Lakeview High with full confidence because Ricky is at his back. Now, the, the plot is more complex than that, but it is very illustrative for us because when we have the right person at our back and with us, we lose all fear. But now imagine if instead of hiring, hiring Ricky Linderman, Clifford had hired Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Can you imagine walking down the halls of your high school with the Terminator at your side? I mean, you would just have no fear whatsoever. Moody and his bullies would give you a wide berth. And we are worried about walking through a valley of the shadow of darkness with God at our side. The God who holds the waters of the ocean in the palms of his hand. The God who, who puts Mount Everest in a scale and weighs it. The God who measures the heavens with his hands. The heavens that if you were to, to ride at 186,000 miles per second, seven times around the world every second, it would take you 63 billion years to go across. This is the God who is with us. The God who with one word created the sun. 
the sun that every second produces the energy of 60 trillion Hiroshima bombs. And the sun is one of trillions of stars that God threw out into space. In fact, they say there are 10 times as many stars like the sun in the universe as there are grains of sand on all the beaches of all of the world. It is this God who is with you. And you're afraid? The God who divided the Red Sea into two and made the water stand up like a wall so his people could walk through. The God who made the sun stand still for a day so that Joshua could defeat the Midianites. How did he do that? He froze the universe in place for a whole day. He was the God who made the sun go back 10 steps on Hezekiah's sundial just to give him proof that he was going to heal him. How did God do that? He turned the whole universe clock back. Uh, unbelievable power. And this is the God who is with us, my friends. The God who sent simply one of his millions of angels into the camp of the Assyrian soldiers. And in one night, he killed 185,000 of them. The God who spoke to the storm when it was raging and about to sink the boat and the wind and the waves listened to the voice of its maker, and they were still. This is the God who is with us, the God who toys with the stars, and he says, I am with you in the darkest valley. So can you understand why God might have been upset when he told Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, and Moses was afraid he said, no, I can't do that. God has said, I will be with you. <laughs> Moses said, I can't do it. God got upset with him. Does this help you understand why God could tell Joshua in chapter 1, verse 9 of that book, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged as you go into the promised land now to do battle with those giants who scared your people so badly 40 years earlier that they were afraid to step foot in that land. Do not be afraid, Joshua. Why? Do not be frightened or dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Or how God could tell Gideon, who was a simple farmer from the least clan in all of Manasseh, that he should go and fight the, the huge Midianite army that was surrounding him. He said, go because I will be with you and you will smite them as one man. They're going to be as nothing to you because I am with you. And we can go on and on and on. How the servant of Elijah, when he looked outside the, the walls of Dothan one morning, he saw the enemies of Syria, the armies and the chariots there, and he was afraid. And Elijah prayed, God, open his eyes. And he opened his eyes and he saw that the chariots of God and his horsemen were greater than that of Syria, and he was not afraid any longer. Or when Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, invaded Judah after he had conquered Hamath and Arpad and Sepharvaim and, and Samaria, he, had, he was lapping up the nations of the world like fire laps up water, and now he's at the edge of the city of Jerusalem. And Hezekiah has belief that God is with him. And this is what Hezekiah says to his people, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. And then this God gives his people these words of assurance in Isaiah 43. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. 
when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Amen. My friends, but they did not know the half of it. You may have heard the story of the little child that was afraid in a storm one night, and the mother goes in and says, you don't need to worry. You don't need to be afraid. God is with you. And the child says, yes, Mama, I know, but I need a God with skin on. And that's what God did a few centuries later. You see, God is not only with us in his awesome presence as Jehovah, but now God has come with us in the person of his Son. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And for three years, the disciples saw what it meant that God was with them. He multiplied, multiplied food. He healed the paralyzed. He cleansed the leper. He gave sight to the blind. He cured the deaf. He raised the dead to life. And they loved that God was with them. Because there is not a problem that we face in this world that God with us cannot solve. Is this enough for you this morning, my friends? That God is with you? But it gets even better than that, and we don't have time to jump into things that David could only dream about. Because not only was Jesus with them, he one day said, I'm actually going to leave you because there's not enough of me in skin for all of you and the millions of people that will believe on me after you. So I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send who to you? The comforter. I'm going to send the counselor who, John 14 says, will not only be with you, but he will live in you. And now this great God of our universe lives with us, and he is in us as his children by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we are afraid in the valley. You see, it's not the valley that matters. It's not the darkness that discourages. It's not the dangers that threaten, but it is the God who is with us that matters. When it comes to pain, Nightbird said, God isn't often in the business of taking it away. Instead, he adds to it. He doesn't take away my darkness. He adds light. He doesn't spare me of thirst. He brings water. He doesn't cure my loneliness. He comes near. So why do we believe that when we are in pain, it must mean that God is far Oh, what an encouraging word for singles this morning and those who have been widowed. My friends, God is with you. Yes, you do have to perceive it by faith, but when you do, you will understand, as, as Luther said, that the Lord is nearer to us than our own selves. And yet sometimes in the valley of the shadow of death, stuff does happen, does it not? And it hurts. But the verse says, we need not fear that evil. Why do we not need to fear the evil? My friends, because it is only the shadow of the valley of death, and shadows can never hurt anybody. Imagine going out on 465 in the evening as the sun is setting and standing on the shoulder and semis are rolling by you. Their shadows hit you one after the other, and you don't move at all. My friends, Jesus Christ has dealt with the real thing. He has dealt with the semi. He has grappled with death itself. He has defeated it, and when he rose from the dead, he slew it. 
so that now all that you and I as his children have to face is simply the shadow of death because Jesus has conquered it. And because through death, Hebrews 2.14 says, he would destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That is what Jesus has done so that no evil will ultimately ever befall the children of God. And at Jesus' final moment on this earth, the only time in history, he could not say Psalm 23.4 because when he took on our sin upon himself, when he became sin for us, at that moment, the Father could no longer look upon him because of his sin. The Father withdrew his presence from us. And in that moment, Jesus earned our salvation. He conquered death. He conquered sin. He conquered evil. And we now rest in the victory that Jesus won on the cross and in the empty tomb. Have you made him your shepherd by faith? Well, that's the promise, and it's a great one. And it keeps getting better and better. Finally, the protection, his rod and his staff. And we'll have to look quickly at these. While God all by himself is enough for us in the valley... And that sounds ridiculous to say, God all by himself. David now mentions two tools of the shepherd that shows how he protects and guides us. Neither of these tools is familiar to us as modern urbanites. So I, here in my little shepherd's workshop, I, I brought one of each. This is a rod. It was a small club that they would use to defend the flock from predators. Because unfortunately, sheep are also, they're pretty tasty. So you remember when David told Saul that I can fight Goliath because when I used to be taking care of sheep, a lion or a bear would come and I would grab it by the hair and I would kill it. Well, he used a rod like this to do that. The rod is for our protection. He beats enemies off. But there's another tool that the shepherd uses and that is a staff, a very different instrument. This is never used to hit the sheep with, but it's used to guide them because sheep, don't follow very well, they don't see very well, and if the shepherd's not watching over them carefully, they wander away. And so the shepherd will use this to guide them in, back into the right paths, push them here and there, just gently nudging them. Do you ever move out of the paths of God and need the nudge of his staff? And then if they get stuck, he can just hook this around them and pull them up out of a difficult place. His rod and his staff, they bring us comfort. Sheep are not very smart animals. When we served in Pakistan, we taught at a Bible college, and our college was on a campus that had a, a wall around it, three or four acres. And between the wall and the road was a small patch of 20 feet or so of grass. So the nomadic shepherds would come through periodically, and they would just let their sheep graze on that grass. One day we left for the capital. There was a, a shepherd there with some sheep, and when we came back, we saw a sight that we couldn't believe our eyes. There in the grass outside the wall of our property were eight dead sheep. They had been skinned and their bodies were bloating in the afternoon sun. We asked the watchman, what in the world happened? He said, well, the best we can figure, there was a power line that had fallen down and, and the, the shepherd had gone ahead of the sheep and wasn't paying attention. And one sheep came up and hit the power line and zapped him. The next right behind him, hit him, zapped him. Eight dead sheep. That's how dumb sheep are. They cannot protect 
themselves. And you notice the danger is not only from outside. The danger is from within. Because in Princess Bride and the Fire Swamp, do you remember there are rodents of unusual size that attack you? But there is also what? The lightning sand that you can fall in. And this was Job's problem. It was not so much that he was attacked from outside, but it was how he responded to being led into the valley of the shadow of death that upset God. Because while Job initially responded well, he fell into the quicksand of becoming bitter and angry and ultimately untrusting of God. And that's what God rebuked him for and what he repented of in the end. You see, it's our own hearts that are the problem in the valley of the shadow of death and how we respond. And so God takes his staff and he, he carefully leads us. Will you let him do that? Will you, will you move at the nudgings of his spirit as he shepherds you through the valley of the shadow of death? And he says we find comfort. The word should be a little stronger than that. The word literally means courage. And so, my friends, the problem with the valley of the shadow of death is we have to keep walking. You may hear a sermon that fires you up, but tomorrow morning you've got to wake up and you've got to take some more steps. Well, we'll look at this word. What does God do with his rod and staff? He, yes, he comforts us that he loves us, but it's more than that. He gives us courage now to wake up on Monday morning and get out of bed and take the next step because God is with us with his presence and protecting us with his rod and his staff. Are you in a dark valley today, my friend? Remember the purpose of the valley and then his promise and his presence that never goes out like the lights sometimes do. <laughs> but you're going to need to come back next week because the road through the valley eventually leads to the Father's house. When our granddaughter got back to my wife last week, she explained the reason why she was so afraid. She said, but Grandma, I couldn't see Grandma's house in the back forest. But as soon as I saw Grandma's house, I ran and ran and ran. And she threw herself into Grandma's arms. And when she did at that moment, she had not one ounce of fear left in her body. My friends were walking through a valley of a shadow of death that's no bigger than this stage. It's ludicrously small in the eyes of God. And, and all we need to do is just take a few more steps, and we're going to round that corner, and then we're going to see Grandma's house, and we will run into it, and all will be well forever. Praise God. Will you pray with me? Yeah, praise God. Amen. Oh, our Father, what an amazing shepherd you are. Would you now speak to each of us this morning? And let me just ask you, friends, to take a moment and reflect on the valley that you may be in today. Do you know that he has led you into and will lead you through that valley? Will you grasp onto the presence of God with you and in you as a child of his? And will you remember that he protects you from all enemies and will keep you safe? And if you don't know this shepherd yet, oh, friend, what are you missing? A great treasure that God has for you through his son, Jesus. 
We'd love to talk with you afterwards or connect online if you would like to know more about how you can become one of the sheep of God through Jesus Christ. So, Father, we give you our thanks today. We do not deserve this. We are all like sheep. We've wandered our own way. We've deserved everything and more that we've gotten. But we thank you that you are with us, that you protect us, that you guide us, and that you will lead us safely home to be with you for all of eternity because of what Jesus has done for us. We pray these things in his precious name. Amen.